want to share with you uh, two pieces of scripture this morning. Uh, first from uh, the book of Genesis in the 18th chapter, and then secondly, uh, from Matthew's gospel uh, in chapter 9, uh, beginning at uh, verse 35. <clears throat> the 18th chapter of uh, Genesis, we find the uh, story of a visit made by three strangers who are actually angels uh, coming to Abraham and they find hospitality in his tent. But Abraham doesn't know that they're angels, he just thinks they're visitors. And they begin to tell him all these wonderful promises of God. Um, most importantly, that uh, Abraham and Sarah, his wife, will have a child. Now this seems highly unusual, unexpected, maybe even impossible. Um, given the fact that Abraham and Sarah are quite old. So let's pick up the story um, in the ninth verse. The visitors uh, said to Abraham, well, where is uh, your wife, Sarah? And he said, they're in the tent. And then one of them said, well, I will surely return to you in due season and your wife will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind them. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Now this is uh, quite a euphemism. Um, E.B. White, uh, the great uh, British uh, essayist and a grammarian said that we should never use a six words where um, one would do. So this wonderful little formulation, it had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women, which is of course his eight words, uh, she was no longer menstruating. So Sarah laughed. She laughed to herself and said, after I've grown old and my husband is old, am I to have this pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And say, uh, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for God, for the Lord? At the time set, I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, oh, I, I, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, oh, yes, you laughed. Amen. Of course, Sarah laughed wasn't physically possible for her to conceive. She was no longer menstruating. Abraham was old. And yet, with God, that which seems impossible to us is in fact possible. 
It's one of the great uh, facts that we so often ignore. We become so easily discouraged sometimes. And I understand life can be discouraging. I get this courage, I can assure you of that. But it's only when I forget the continuing and prevailing, persistent, powerful presence of the Almighty. God's will will be done. With God, that which we think is impossible becomes possible. And so from the Gospel of Matthew, the ninth chapter, beginning at verse 35. Jesus had, had been away, and he had come back to rejoin the disciples and those who were following Jesus. And they went about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. And when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, for they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So at this point in Jesus' ministry, he has compassion on the people because they are like sheep without a shepherd. But he is the shepherd. Why doesn't he leave them? But the harvest is plentiful, Jesus says. The need is too great. So easy it is for us to fall into the trap that we think that the Messiah has come to take care of everything, to fix the world, to resolve all the problems that confront us, like in the Greek uh, dramaturgy like the deus ex machina who will come out of the heavens at the end of the play and bring everything to right. The Messiah will come and fix it all. But that's not why the Messiah came. Listen. So Jesus summoned 12 of his disciples and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits to cast them out, to cure every disease and every sickness. And these are the names of the 12 apostles. Simon, also known as Peter, his brother Andrew, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, who was a tax collector, that is to say, one who collaborates with Rome. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, the one who would betray him. So these 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. That's the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven is not some future promise, the sky by and by. The kingdom of heaven is here. Cure the sick, raise the dead, 
cleansed the lepers, cast out the demons. You received without payment, so give without payment. And so they go. And they do heal. They are given this authority. Now, this is also something that we don't expect. Our idea is that a hero will come. Jesus will be the hero. Jesus will be the one who will fix everything right. He'll have some kind of battle, so he will vanquish the foe of God, and everything will be made right. And Jesus says, no, the need is too great. This is not for me. It is for you. I will give you authority. Think about how much our world has changed since January. With the coronavirus and so many people becoming ill with COVID-19, the terrible cost to their families, to their communities, to their loved ones, the pain and suffering, not only of those who have died, but those who have been infected and sick with COVID-19, a terrible disease. Even if you live through it, it can be deeply debilitating and take months and months, we don't even know how many months, for people to uh, recover. Think about the incredible economic disruption that has taken, not just in macroeconomic terms, but in the lives of people. People, you, who've lost your jobs, who have a hard time paying the bills, um, who wonder how things are gonna turn out as you think about your future, your children's future, college education and retirement, mortgage payments. It's incredible. And then, in just the three weeks since George Floyd was murdered, how much our society has woken up to the great inequities, the inequality, the persistent, pervasive, pernicious, pathological racism that besets our country. We have woken up to a deep injustice that lies at the heart of so many of our problems. And all of a sudden, there's a movement within our country to right the wrong, to set things straight, to establish the true vision of our founders for liberty and justice for all. You may have seen the recent uh, video on YouTube about the woman who is uh, extrapolating in very strong tones about the grave injustices that have been done to African people. And she ends by saying, White America should simply be happy that what black people want is equality and not revenge. Equality is what each of us wants. That's what Black Lives Matter means. For those lives who have so often and persistently for 400 years not mattered, in fact, they do matter. The key here in Matthew's gospel is that Jesus has given authority over his apostles to attend to that which is wrong, broken, to fix that which is broken, and to set right that which is now wrong. They don't have to wait for someone else. There's nobody coming to save us, people. Jesus says, I'm here to show you, inspire, encourage, empower you to be that presence of God in the world, to transform the world. This is no small task. We will not undertake it on our own. God will be with us. Jesus is our Lord and Master. We do follow him as his disciples. It is a work that will not be completed in our own time. 
yet neither, as the rabbi said, neither are we free to desist from it. In all of this, what's remarkable is that what's happening now in the second week of June could never have been anticipated four weeks ago. God is making something happening, something happen that we were finally ready to see and hear and address in a forthright, honest, and finally thoroughgoing manner. Do not think that this will be done today or tomorrow, this year, or even in this generation. This is a multi-generational work, but thank God we are engaged in it. Because God has given us the authority, we are also given the responsibility to work for racial justice. This is our calling as a church. We've already identified that, to work for racial justice. And we can do this because it is fulfilling God's original vision for humanity. Equality of opportunity, equality of rights, being treated as a human being, not as an object or someone to be used, but someone whose life is equally valuable to God. So Jesus gave us this authority, and thereby this authority, with this authority, gave us responsibility. God is making something new out of the wreckage we have made of our nation, and it will, God will set it right if we will be engaged with God. Because with God, truly, that which we deemed impossible will be found to be possible. Thanks be to God. Amen.